Hello and welcome to the Sam Grayson interview series where I talk to changemakers who've dared to be different and stood up and spoken out. We discuss social change that has occurred over the last 30 years, how language has evolved and is evolving and how we still have more work to do. I'm interested to look at the role that the arts play to both inspire, provoke, educate and support social change. Actors, singers, members of parliament, artists, authors, activists and entrepreneurs who all dare join me. I am delighted to be joined today by Greer Ralston, an artist who has won many awards across her distinguished career, including the Green Shields International Scholarship for Figurative Art, and she's exhibited in the National Portrait Gallery. I am delighted to introduce Greer and welcome her to Daring to be Different. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Thank you. So, Greer, you have been involved in the arts world since you were very, very young, winning the Kelvin Grove Children's Art Competition Gold Medal in 1983. How did that change your life? Massively. Uh, initially, I think I, I really kind of got hooked on art when I was about maybe 11, 12, where someone gave me a book on the National Gallery and one of Michelangelo. So I became quite obsessed, especially at that time, by Michelangelo and drawing and things. So, yeah, I, I went from being quite sort of outdoorsy kids who was running around with ponies and all sorts of things to being, that's it, I'm focused, that's what I want to do. And there was no question of anything else at that point. It was just 100% committed to it. And that's never changed. Never, ever changed from there. So, yeah, early doors, I was completely focused and it, it never wavered. It was not an option. You know, it yeah. was always, a, that's what I was going to do be an artist, be a sculptor or a painter. At that point, I wasn't sure when I was younger because I did sculpt a bit. But yeah, there was never any doubt about what I was going to do. Wow, that's amazing. All because somebody kind of bought you that art equipment. Yeah, yeah. it just totally focused me. You know, I, I wasn't a naughty kid or a wild kid. I was just a wee bit, you know, I wasn't that academic or that focused on where I was going. And that just totally changed my life after that. And I was completely focused on it. And as I said, that, that never, ever changed. There was never an option for anything else. And still isn't an option for anything else either. <laughs> and, and did your teachers and, and sort of at school, did they support your love of art? No, clear, clear talent. Fantastic art department at the school I went to. Um, and it was great, really supportive. Yeah, all the way. That makes a huge difference because you do need people in your life that do, do support what you're doing, um, especially creatively. You know, otherwise, um, otherwise it's too lonely for people, kids to focus on things. I think if they don't have that support network around them, because everyone pushes you off in academic directions to get a job and do normal things. So you, you do have to have a wee bit of support there to give you belief. I think the thing is to have belief in what you want to do as well, which is, is quite important. And, and that permission to follow your dream and, and actually, yeah. you know, yeah. do the art without kind of, being, like you say, being told, get a proper job. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can do it. So just thinking about what the art world must have been like, like in the 1980s, you know, as a woman starting out on a career, can you give us a sense of what that felt like? It was very difficult. Um, I don't know about other art schools. I mean, I studied at Glasgow and Glasgow at that point was very macho. We, we did have some fantastic artists there like Ken Curry and Peter Housen and, and, and people like that. You know, we've had some great people. Um, Jenny Savile was after me, Alison Watt, people like that. There was a kind of maleness to the place, if that makes sense. And everyone was working on huge paintings. It tended to be all about politics, shipyards. At that point, I just wanted to paint nudes and whippets and things like that. <laughs> much, more, much more English in some ways, you know, so I'm always seeing Freud. At that point, I was very influenced by Freud and Bacon and artists like that. And that didn't sit particularly well in Glasgow at that, at that time. 
But yeah, it was all very sort of, you know, it was a hard drinking culture, a hard partying culture as well. And you had to be pretty strong to stand up to it. You know, I think some tutors were supportive, not all. I, I do remember getting a list of pubs when I first went, it, if you wanted to get a tutorial, what pub you went to to buy your tutor's drinks <laughs> for tutorials. So that was quite an eye-opener. Wow. And I, I guess I expected to go and that the, the tutors were going to be really supportive and tell you loads of things. And he didn't, because at that age, when you're sort of 18, 19, you don't realise that you're coming out to be an artist, so you are going to be their competitors, that you're going to be working in the same the same field. So a lot of them were there to sort of break you down. I, mean, I do remember speaking to one guy who was particularly tough on women, and he said, well, you're the best to be here, so we break you down to make you strong, which is nonsense. You know, yeah. we all know that's nonsense. So, so many women left. You know, and they, they would particularly target girls as well. And it, it was difficult. You had to stand your ground and you had to really fight your corner and also fight your corner for what you wanted to paint. You know, if it didn't fall into what was in fashion at the time as well, that was that was quite hard. There were no rules. It's, it's because, you know, a subject like art, you really have to defend what you're doing, I suppose, and be true to yourself, which... At that age, is quite difficult oh. because you're, you're trying to find yourself and where you're going and you're getting bombarded from all directions with different opinions as well. But there were one or two people who were fantastic, who I, I had one tutor who is in his late 90s now, who is still in touch with and still really supportive. You know, I send him photographs of my work. He doesn't do internet. I send him photographs. He gives <laughs> me a credit. And, you know, we, we used to, even years after I left, we'd meet for a pint and talk about work and things like that. So, yeah, and that's been a lifelong friend. So you do need people there that you can trust a bit. But, yeah, it was a very, very male-driven time. You know, it was it was very difficult for women, I think. And, and what was the competition between other women then? I mean, because you were all getting treated like this. Did that make you more competitive with each other? Did you pull together? How did that work? One or two of us did. Some didn't. I mean, we had one female tutor who the joke was she was more of a man than most guys and you know that's nothing to do with sexuality that was due to how driven she was work-wise and how much she had to prove herself yeah so yeah some one or two of us were supportive and, and have still kept in touch and still be supportive but yeah it is competitive you know it is and it's still really competitive you know not everyone supports each other so I, that's a difficult one to be honest because it was changing times I think the 80s as well a lot of things were such shifting yeah. and yeah it, it, it was quite hard but yeah everyone just had to sort of crack on and get on with it I think at that point. Wow so for people who may not have seen your work yet how would you describe it? It varies I mean at the core of my work has always been human beings people um, figure I've always been obsessed by figure I'm obsessed by bodies stuff like this back to Michelangelo I, I love working with people I love painting people and that connection you have with them because of that, I think it's never the same once. I mean, when you're painting someone and you paint their journey or even it's a portrait, you, you find out about them or if it's figure to what you're working with, it changes all the time. So new people bring new things. And, you know, as life evolves and we get older, I think you bring different things to the, the table as well. All the people I've painted, loads of really fascinating people over the years. And it's, it's been great, you know, like having 70 year olds model for me, youths and things like that. And, you know, some really inspiring things. So it's never the same. So the figure is predominantly the core of it. But in recent years, I've kind of branched off. I, I did do some animals and horses and things like that for a while. 
that comes back because I was brought up in the countryside and we, we always had loads of animals, dogs and horses. And so I had a huge love for, for animals. So that snuck into it for a bit. And then recently I've been painting big flowers and, and, and some flowers and landscape. I wouldn't say I'm a landscape painter, but I also love the countryside. So that's an, another side that I kind of escaped to. But yeah. always at the heart of it is, is figure, is people. I always go back to that time and time again. You know, I think that's the core thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I kind of became aware of you because you're, you're prolific on social media and <laughs> put new art out all the time. I, I'm absolutely amazed by you. I think one that caught my eye quite early on was a, a, a raven picture that, that you painted. Could you tell us a little bit about that one? That was a bit of a sort of throwback to, to being a kid and being in the countryside. And we have old stables that I, I still have. And I'm, I'm working on that just now that I'm clearing the site and building a new studio there and hoping to build a house there as well. And as kids, I used to spend a lot of time with animals. So crows, ravens, horses, and they were always around and always aware that they were sort of watching you, you know? And it's almost like I had more of a connection with like sort of birds and, and animals than I did with people at that point. And, you know, I was sort of not a troubled teenager, but going through that angst of being a teenager and where you're going and do you want to be an artist and things. And, and I always drew birds. I, I drew ravens and crows when I was a kid. So recently I've been doing great big ones again. And yeah. it's almost like things recur. They come mm -hmm. back around in your life, you know. And I'd never realised, and until I look back at some tiny sketchbooks I had as a kid, there were drawings of raven heads and crow heads. And I thought, flame and heck, and I've, I've come back to them again. And <laughs> they're always there. And they're always kind of, there's something very clever, aren't they? You know, I think that they're very intelligent birds. And you always feel they're sort of watching you. Mm -hmm. So um, every so often, there, there's, there's one I'm working on just now. It's, it's a large nude that's going to be in the new show. And it's a friend of mine who's very, she talks to, to ravens and crows and she's quite eccentric. She's naked in this painting and there's a rat on one shoulder and there's a crow at her feet and a dog as well. So it's all about her connection with animals. So yeah, I think as a kid, I used to sort of talk to the birds and talk to us, but Dr. Do a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I keep going back to that. They sneak in every so often. And you mentioned about, you know, Scotland and the, the landscape, etc. Um, there's one with big pink thistles against a really dramatic Scottish sky. I mean, gosh, you can you can almost taste the air when you look at that picture. Yeah, that came about from a commission initially. Someone had asked me to paint a thistle and she wanted a thistle and her husband wanted a landscape. And I wow. thought, well, I'm, I'm not a landscape painter. And then I said to him, look, because he stayed in a particular area, why don't I do a sort of, you know, sort of really kind of Scottishy landscape in the sense that it's quite barren and, um, and quite moody and have do a portrait of a thistle sort of thing. So I did it. And I thought, I really love thistles. And you know, I've never, never thought about painting them before because I always think of a, a, a thistle sometimes being, a, I suppose, a bit cliche for Scotland, you know, yeah. and I've always avoided it. I love flowers. But that made me start looking at thistles. And then I realised I had loads of thistles up at the old stables I have. It's called Double Dykes. And I've got all these thistles there. And I started drawing them. And, and now I've started doing all these paintings of thistles and sort of very bleak landscapes. And, and I started one just today, actually, with a backdrop of Glencoe. So you've got these sort of very wow. bleak mountains and sort of rain coming in, which is typical Scotland, sort of weather. And this nice, gorgeous wee sort of light. And it's just that connection to, to landscape and to place. Yeah. And I'm, I'm finding as I'm getting older as well, returning back to the countryside. You know, I've lived in cities and I've, I've travelled around a bit. 
I want to go back there and it's just I'm, I'm kind of running back as a retreat and I'm finding the kind of landscape and the countryside so it's kind of sneaking into my work a bit um that was unconscious I think it's just one of these things that's, that's happened because I've been spending especially during lockdown I've been spending quite a lot of time on my own and, and as I said trying to get the studio built and move back up into the countryside so yeah this was a popping up all over the place just now. so it's like the natural cycle of things it, it is. It, it kind of connects you to where you are. I think that's the thing. Very grounding. Yeah. And I mean, you've done loads of figurative stuff, but I mean, ones that really stood out for me is one called What Lies Beneath, Blue Towel and All That Jazz. They're just they're just really emotional pictures. You really have this ability to capture, I don't know, an internal emotion when you're actually painting, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's from me or I don't know if it's from the sitter. It's one of these things that happens doesn't always happen but sometimes it doesn't it's almost like a you know technically you can do a good job but it's not something special but sometimes you, you just do a painting and when people sit for me I, I don't like them to sit quietly I like them to chat to me and, and just let something connect and something flow and I think that's really important so yeah sometimes just a bit of magic happens between you and and there's something about when people sit for you as well especially when they take the clothes off they tell you things I think it must be that kind of you know I'm, I'm stripping everything off so I, I can confess to the artist um, you end up building up this relationship between you which um is great and it's quite it's quite a trusting relationship as well I, I, I don't like using professional models I tend to paint people that I know that and we, we build a bond of trust and I think the paintings tend to come out of that as well. And I try and, I think, find their journey and then trying to maybe, you know, come up with images that represents that and, yeah. uh, and is sympathetic to them as well. So you have to work together to do that. It's not just as simple as, you know, I want to paint you as this. It's one of these things, I think it kind of grows organically and it grows through trust as well. So, yeah, it's, it's just finding ways into that. And the, the right people always come. I think if you don't force it, you know, the right people sort of appear. Wow. So it's very much based on energy, the energy flow. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. So some of your work has actually been seen as very controversial. Sort of your early work, you used a lot of traditional images and then real people into them who were visibly queer. So yeah. what was the reaction you got? Some people got quite aggressive towards me and quite, I mean, this is when I was probably, I don't know, early to mid 30s. And I'm, I'm now going back to doing that kind of work again, kind of revisiting it in a different way. I think maybe as someone older, which um, I don't know how that's going to go. It's going to be quite interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I loved classical work. I love, as I said, back to Michelangelo. So I took all these sort of like the, the, the famous Pieta and I painted someone who um, was obviously Butch and she was holding an image of herself wrapped in a shroud, sort of presenting the image of herself. Yeah. And... You know, some people said that, you know, I was I was being offensive to Mary and religion and all that sort of thing. And yeah, I got quite angry about it and quite, but that was not, I was not trying to mock religion. It was more about traditional images of art. You know, we have these stylized sculptures. And if you think of people who might have seen modeled for Michelangelo or Caravaggio or anyone, they were people off the street who, you know, could be, I don't know, selling fruit or whatever, or, you know, prostitutes and all sorts of things. And these people were put into religious images. So you got all these religious icons, especially sort of Renaissance, uh, early Renaissance work, where the, you know, the artists were starting to use real people in those paintings, but they would paint them as Peter or David or whoever it was, you know, or Jesus. 
So I wanted to make the point of taking these images and making the people more real. So the story was about them, but they were visibly in, I don't mean, something like the Pieta is a very interesting image, you know, this sort of media holding. And, and the particular one was, as I said, this, this girl holding an image of herself. So yeah, it was a little bit controversial at the time. But I'm, I'm kind of going back to that. I'm going kind of full circle again. And yeah, you, you do revisit, you do revisit things. Yeah. But I did that for a while. And then because I was, I was teaching and lecturing for a long time, I kind of moved away from it. And I, I think at that point in my life as well, I don't know, I, I seem to kind of quieten down a bit or, or not feel the need to do it. But now, I, now I'm, I'm coming back at it again. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having a second wind on it and having to do something a bit more controversial again. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. So being Scottish, it's, in, you know, it's featured in some of your work, but, but how important is Scotland to you personally and, and for your work? Um, I think massively. You know, I would never have thought that before, but I, I think a sense of place is really important. Like having this place in the countryside and building, I think once I build a studio there, I, I have this real draw to go back there and, and be there. And I think where you produce your work is very important. And that you feel you've got a place of safety. You know, you, you can do whatever you want and you can take it all over the world, especially now. I think it's much easier in that sense. But I, I think you have a, it's like a homing instinct to come back and, and to feel grounded and, you know, even just being connected to the people around you. You know, go back out to the, the countryside and, you know, I've still got friends with some of the farmers that were there and that I grew up with. And yeah, that grounds me. You know, they, they just think it's all a load of nonsense and they're more interested in sheep than they are in painting. <laughs> Which is great, you know, I don't have to have serious intellectual conversations about anything with them. It's more about, you know, uh, whatever they're doing. But there is a kind of sense in, in return to it as well, uh, which is lovely. And yeah, I, I absolutely adore Scotland. Not in a, a political sense, but I just, I, I love the place, you know. I think it's it's quite special and quite spiritual. And yeah, and I, I do love being in the countryside, but half and half. I also, you know, I like to go there, charge my batteries, and then I like to get the buzz of the city and people and you know, culturally what's happening and especially younger people and younger artists and make connections with them as well. I think that's really important, you know, that you don't just stick with your own age group, but you kind of get back <laughs> into the buzz and, and find out what's going on. It's quite easy to become a bit of a recluse too much. So but yeah. a bit of both, I think. No, that, that's brilliant. Um, I mean, you have had massive success with portrait commissions that have been auctioned by Christie's in London. Uh, and you've raised funds for, for major charities with a um, very special story about Anna Blackman being pipped at the post. She was after one of your, your paintings and she didn't quite make it. So how, how on earth did that feel? It, it was it was great. It was a, it was a fantastic night and they raised masses of money, but it was also a, it was very nerve wracking because there was a sort of pre-opening party thing that they had and they did an auction and there was an exhibition. In those days, I think it was Imperial Cancer and then it became Cancer Research. And what they did was they did a big exhibition and most artists donated a painting. And what happened was you paid, I don't know, three, four hundred pounds a ticket. And that is almost like a you, you got a painting for that. It was almost like a raffle. Hmm. But then they had a separate auction that was for really quite famous artists. So I, I did the first show the first year and then I thought I'd be a bit cheeky <laughs> and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and get in the big lot, you know, with the big guys. So I said to him, look, I'll, I'll do a portrait commission and, you know, something up to you know, a good few thousand pounds and I'll donate it and I'll send you down a portrait and you can auction the commission. So they went for it. And yeah, I, there were 16 lots and I was the last lot, which was completely nerve wracking. Yeah. 
because um, at one point the prices weren't going that high. Um, there was actually a huge barrel cook only went for a thousand pounds. And I was thinking about, God, should I just bid for it and then try and take it off the stretcher and roll it up and take it in the train back to Scotland? <laughs> but there was all sorts of things that, you know, there was Damien Hurst's things in it, Tracy Emin, um, wow. designs by Gucci, all, all sorts of things. So when it came to the very last one and the guys and Christie's carried the, the, the portrait up onto the podium and of course they're there with the white gloves on and you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, they've sold Van Goghs and things like that. And they're standing with a gear Ralston. And then the auctioneer pointed out that I had come down for the night and I was there, which was mortifying because I thought if no one bids, I'm just going to run out the exit door and, and, and run away. But we, we did, we raised quite a few thousand pounds for it and it was fantastic. And yeah, Honor Blackman, who was lovely, she was so sweet. And yeah, she was standing with us and she was bidding for it. But there was another girl who was determined to get it. So she, she did manage to get it. So yeah, it was good. Wow. It was fun. It was good fun, but very nerve wracking. And I would not like to go through that too often. <laughs> That's very exposing, isn't it? It's really... It, it, it is, because if no one bids, you know, it's so embarrassing. It's like you've been generous and eating something, but then if no one wants it, it's quite nerve-wracking. So, but it worked out fine. Which didn't happen, which is fantastic. It so worked. not only do you paint yourself, but you do teach private art classes and to bring other people on. Yeah, I work with a range of people. Um, I, I'd lectured for a long time. I lectured for about 25 years, just part-time. But then I decided to sort of pack it in and, and just focus on painting full-time. And I guess, I, you know, for a while, I, did, I, I missed interaction with people. Mm. And I also run classes with people who have got, you know, different issues and different, you know, different groups, you know, that might be suffering from mental illness and things like that as well. So I, I like to connect with people, um, even young kids, help kids with, you know, do their portfolios and things like that for art school. And I, I miss human interaction because it's, it's very lonely when you're painting all the time, you're, you're, you're just working away on your own. Yeah. And it's quite easy to sort of retract into your own world. So it's great, you know, it's, and during the pandemic, we did some classes in the garden, which was fantastic. Yeah. So I was trying to work out ways how we could connect with people and how we could do it safely. Because I was aware that quite a few of, you know, the people who come along were older people and quite vulnerable. And so what we did was we put a couple of, of tents up in the garden, put a couple of marquees up and we, we ran painting classes in the garden. And we, we serve, you know, like cakes and glasses of fizz and all sorts of things. So they had a brilliant time and they all ended up singing and stuff like that. And no one to go home. And, yeah, but it, it was great, you know. And I, I think when something like the pandemic happens, you're so aware of, of just how vulnerable people are and, and how much fun they get from it, you know. Because from their, for them, that's a hobby and it's something they do and it's sociable, where for me, it's a different thing altogether when you, you're you're being creative and you're producing stuff and it is your living at the end of the day so you know no matter how much you want to kind of lose yourself in what you're doing if it pays the bills there's also an element of reality there and pressure as well if you've got a show you know you need to produce 10 pieces 20 pieces or whatever that has that discipline has to be there where for them it, it was fun so yeah I've, I, I love that and I, I, I can never foresee me not doing something you know I run life drawing classes and all sorts of things and again, it's back to that balance of interaction with people again, which is lovely. Yeah, Great. which is again another recurring theme yeah. for you. Um, yeah. So, um, if you if you had a, a young, let's say, woman on here, because you know women have have had a very challenging time getting into arts. So, if you had a young woman here that wanted to get into arts, what advice would you would you give them? Listen to everything, but be true to yourself. Take it all in, but don't always. If it if it's not right for you, don't do it. As an art student, I, I think I probably expected too much. I think I went along expecting people to, to give me information or, you know, give me support. 
and they're actually you're, you're dealing with your, your peers they are competitors they are other artists so and everyone's different I think if you're going to be creative you're going to be true to your own heart yeah. so take from things take from things what you can use but find your own language I think is a really important really important thing Wow. No, that's that's it's very good to reflect on. Thank you. Well, I'll take that away. Thank you very much. So today you were at an event, a Society of Women Artists, giving a talk. What was that about? I was doing a demonstration and also talking about my work as well. And this is a group in Glasgow that's been on the go for, I think it's, I think you said about 100, either 150 or 180 years. Gosh. And it's very important, I think, for women to have some kind of a, a identity. Uh, it's it's so difficult for women artists it's much much better now than it used to be it's always been in the past it's been, been fantastic amount of famous women artists and great women artists who have just been written out of history or people have forgotten about and I think you know if you say to most people who have a sort of general knowledge about art name a woman artist and most of them won't know any so, I mean, I think more contemporary artists might be aware of. So I think it's very important that, you know, these societies and things like that, that they have a support network and they keep each other going. They're a fantastic bunch. I mean, it's, it's quite a range of ages from younger to, you know, in their late 80s and 90s who That's are still brilliant. working away and producing great stuff. But it's like most things, you know, like medicine or literature or whatever. I think, you know, it, it comes down to how the history is charted for women artists. Yeah. So it, it is very, very important. You know, I think for younger women artists as well, not all of them are aware of this history, massive history that we have way, way back. You know, when you look back actually through this, you, ha you have to search out the history books, but when you do go back and look and find the wife's of and the daughter's of, and, you know, the husband's might have been the one who was a big name, but actually the paintings were getting painted by the wife and the daughter when yeah. he was all getting the commissions. So, you know, it's... It's still tricky. It's still mm. tricky for women to be recognised because I think people always think, you know, you're going to go off, have families, have kids, and you don't take it seriously. I think that is, is the thing, you know. So, yeah, we still have to keep going with that and keep pushing that. No, that is, that is a good point. And, and, you know, this is why I want to have these conversations with, with artists and, and musicians to talk about, like, the fights that you've been through to get where you've got to because it has not happened overnight, has it? It's yeah. not been an easy no, journey. No. And it still has, we still have to keep pushing. You know, I don't think I can sit back too much and just, just accept it's fine now. I think we still have to keep working hard to make sure we ensure we keep it, keep that, that sort of foothold as well. Exactly. So you're producing art for us. You're inspiring us. You're making us feel and you're making us kind of reflect on, our, on ourselves. Who do you go to when you need to reflect on what artists do you look at or what music do you listen to? I think I probably keep going back historically through different artists it changes as I said you know initially it was Michelangelo when I was a kid but then I've, I've found different artists at different times I, I don't think I have a particular artist that, that really influences me I mean Georgia Keefe a lot of people say oh do you love Georgia Keefe because of flowers and actually I don't our, our flowers are not the things that really draw me it's her sense of place I actually like her big abstract which she painted in Mexico Wow. And I love the isolation she went and look, you know, looked for, and I can really identify with that as well. So I think I, I glean different things from different people, you know, just how they approach things and what they did. And yeah, I think that's quite important. And it changes, you know, I think it really changes. But I mean, I, I kind of searched out a parallel history of female artists, and I'm quite passionate about that. Yeah. And sort of, you know, went out my way to study them and, and, and look at them. But also the male artists as well. I mean, you know, loads you know fantastic people Caravaggio it could be Caravaggio it could be Lucian Freud you know you, you pull different things from different people 
And I think you just, you're attracted to certain things about the, the way they work or what they produce. And that feeds into you subconsciously. I think you're, you're not necessarily aware of it, but it sneaks in. It kind of just oozes into the work you're doing without realising it. You're not consciously trying to copy them, but because you've, been, you've looked at something, connected with something, yeah. it comes in. That's going to be the same from anything, from music, writing, you know, you just kind of, it kind of oozes into your pores a bit and what you produce. Yeah, I think that's a point, isn't it? That it, it does move you and that it does change you and, and sort of inspire and open you up. So what about music then? Do you listen to music when you're painting? I do, yeah, all sorts. It, it really varies from classical music to sort of cheesy country western that can be anything. If it's heavy classical and, you know, sort of Beethoven and a bit midgy, then, yeah, I'm having a bit of a hard time with the painting and you don't open the studio door, you let me get on with it, leave the coffee outside. <laughs> Um, you know, if it's, if it's Dolly Parton and it's nine to five and I'm jumping about dancing to it, yeah. I'm sure, the neighbours look over the garden wall if I'm painting outside in the summertime and I've got something like that, you know, a bit of Johnny Cash blasting out. The, the, the students at the college I used to teach that thought I was really cool because I was into Johnny Cash, um, because apparently Johnny Cash was in, and I thought, oh my god, I feel really dated. But yeah, it, it depends, and again, it depends what mood I'm in as well. You know, I think that's a big thing, and and I think as well mood and how we feel uh, especially with the pandemic and everything that's happening in the world as well just now that's very difficult that really does affect your mood as well when you turn on the news and you see the horrendous things that are happening and to try and go and be creative that has a massive impact on you yeah because you will be taking some of that residual energy from... you do and you know if you turn on the news and you're sitting in tears and then you yeah. walk into the studio and you're trying to do something that's got a connection and it, it feeds through you know I, I think in a few years time if we look back at probably some of the work that's been produced during the pandemic I think it will take a few years to actually view it properly yeah. and I always find that I never know what I'm working on what it means at the time I'm working on it but when I revisit it you know if I really look back 20 years and I think oh my god right that makes sense you know I was going through that at the time and now I can see it in the painting but I'd never see it when I'm doing it you know, I think whatever happens in my life has no connection to the work, but it's only hindsight. And I think that also comes from getting older as well. You sort of look back and, and see things that have happened in your life and sort of chart them. Wow. That's that's really interesting. Like motifs that you're sending yeah. out there, so symbols yeah. of what was going on. So what are you working on at the moment? I've got a show coming up in um, a gallery in Perth in Scotland, the City Art Gallery. It's a lovely new gallery. And the guy who owns it is a painter, so he's very sympathetic to what you do. So it's a commercial gallery, but he has a room in the gallery that for doing your more personal work. So you do a show, he's wanting people to do shows that have, you know, paintings that you're not just selling, but have real meaning for you. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to connect and do a figurative show because I have not been doing figurative stuff so much throughout the pandemic. And I had thought about doing something about coming out of the darkness because I love Caravaggio and I love Artemisia Gentileschi, you know, sort of chiaroscuro and light and dark. And I wanted the images of bodies sort of coming out of the darkness, but I'm going to call it into the light because I want that to have a more positive sort of moving forward for us. Now, I'm going to use different models for this. And I'm working, one model is Susie Ling, who's an actress and writer and poet. And I'm going to use Susie because she's had quite a few battles with anorexia and bulimia and... She's now very into fitness and health, and we're actually going to take images of her. She's she's working out in a pole. She uses a pole, so we've got all these preconceptions of pole dancing and what that means. And yeah. you know, it's normally a male gaze looking at a female on a, on a pole and things. 
And it's a different thing altogether where we're basically using the shapes of her on this pole and the shapes of her body. And she's in fantastic shape, very muscular, very fit and very healthy. So it's, it's kind of a celebration of her journey, you know, coming through the the battles that she's had with that. And she's also going to um, do some, some readings at the exhibition as well, which is going to be good because it's going to connect people and they can hear her story as well. And other people are modeling for me. I've got a friend who has gone through breast cancer and her husband, who was a close friend of mine, we all grew up together as kids, died suddenly just before the pandemic. So she found nature and garden and and just lost herself in flowers and things like that, but really struggled. So I'm going to do a painting of her. I'm I'm not sure just how it's going to go, but we're going to sink it in flowers, you know, almost like a bed of flowers. Amazing. Um, and she wants people to see the scars on her body um, after going through surgery and things like that as well. So it's going to be about her journey. And again, you know, she's she's had a lot to deal with. And if you put the pandemic on top of grief and worry and illness. So she's she's also coming out of that now. And so it, it's kind of going to be a celebration of people um, very much. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I did think about putting a self-portrait in, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm actually going to put a painting of my hands holding a chunk of wood that looks a bit like a skull. And it's going to be a, a, a bit of a sort of nod to Georgia Keith, I think. I, really didn't, I, I didn't know how I was going to incorporate myself, but, you know, I want, a, I want it to be a celebratory show if I can, which is, is now quite difficult, I think, because we've, we've all come through this pandemic and well, we're not through it. We're still going through it. We will do it for a long time. But things that are now happening in the world as well, it's also making it quite difficult. So I don't know how the show is going to go. It's going to be interesting to see how the images evolve. So that's going to be in June. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy just working away with the guys just now, just talking to them and just getting these connections and ideas. But I'm, I'm looking forward now. I think it's really going to focus me. I probably need to run to the hills and paint thistles and peonies for about two months afterwards. Definitely recover. I'll, be so, I'll be so exhausted. I'll need to recover after and do that. It sounds absolutely amazing. I, I mean, for people who can't get to Perth, can we see this online? Will we be able to? Yes, I will. I'll, I'll put it online. I'll, I'll do a few things to make sure I share it. I'm, I'm not really good on Instagram and things like that, but I, I do need to get with the programme. So, yeah, what I might do is do some videos of the show and hopefully, get, you know, get videos of, of Susie doing the readings and things like that. And I'll put that up as well. That would be absolutely fantastic. Greer, thank you for daring to be different and changing the game for women in the arts. My final question today view is what would your strap line or hashtag be that captures your energy hashtag i don't do what i'm told <laughs> you <laughs> rebel artist yeah <laughs> all rebel with the girls <laughs> absolutely fantastic Greer, thank you for your time today thank you thank you so much you're gonna change the game It was a genuine privilege to catch up with Greer Ralston today and talk through her work and the pieces of art that she's produced and understanding that journey that she's been on, you know, battling through Glasgow in the 1980s and that macho image and to become such a successful artist in her her own right. I think it's also important to reflect on a couple of things that she said about the cycle of life and how we revisit things in our lives that we might have touched upon when we were younger. And as we start to get older, those same themes reoccur as we, as we get older and have relevance again. And the other thing for me, my other takeaway was about making sure you're doing art and work that really reflects who you are and that you're doing it for the right reasons and not because you think people think you should do it or because of pressure. 
So really, really important conversation and a massive, massive thank you to Gria for, for sharing her experiences and, and her time with us. I will share the links where you can look at Greer's work. I really, really urge you to, to check it out. Thank you again, Greer Ralston.